And I still believe that these problems can be solved. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. This is The Political Show. <laughs> Hey, 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 and welcome to The Political Show right here on Active FM, where radio has never been better. I'm your girl, Cynthia, but you know you can call me Gix, and with me in studio we have... Gavin Enslin. Pastor Gavin Enslin, and... John Shamshum. John the Israeli, and... The Black Knight. The Black yeah, Knight. Yeah, finally. he's finally here. After 200 years. <laughs> you guys feel free to uh, message us on our socials and ask him, where has he been? Because he has to answer. For not being in the shows, but the black some knight excuse is about here. washing cars or something. Yeah, oh, something about no. that. <laughs> but the black knight is right here with us, and today we have the privilege of having a guest speaker with us. Um, I'm not going to speak much about it until after the sh- when we start the show. But would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Dua Mutarika, and I'm a coach and consultant here in South Africa, and I'm really glad to be here today. Thank you. Awesome. Right here on The Political Show, where Christ politics is... Hot politics. Hot politics. And this week's Hot Politics, we are doing an interview with Dua, and it's going to be amazing. We're going to touch on some interesting subjects, and we're going to get her thoughts on that. And we're also going to, you know... Give our thoughts as well on these subjects. It's going to be awesome. Like I say, this is the political show where Christ politics is. Hot politics. Hot politics. Active FM is everywhere. Go find us and click that button. Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and so much more. Much more. See all the fun posts. Get involved in interesting discussions. Voice your opinions and get updates by following us on social media. Spread the word. Spread the word. It's that simple. Become part of the family today because radio has radio never been better. better. So we are interviewing the lovely Ms. Dua Matarika uh, for the political show this week. I'll just quickly give you guys a brief explanation of how we came about this amazing moment. Um, I was attending a keynote uh, session for the school that I'm part of, and Ms. Dua was our keynote speaker, and she spoke so beautifully about her experience and stuff, and I was like, we need to get a show with, <laughs> with Ms. Dua on, uh, on the political show, and she's right here. I asked her, and she so nicely said yes. Um, so would you like to tell us a bit about yourself? Yes, hi. So, um, since it's a political show, let's, let's deal with the elephant in the room. And the reason why I'm here today is I'm Dua Mutarika. I am the daughter of Dr. Binguwa Mutarika, who passed away in office in 2013. He was the president of the Republic of Malawi. I'm also the niece of um, Professor Arthur Peter Mutarika, um, who was the president two years after that as well. 
and I'm a coach and consultant here in South Africa. Um, I'm a mother of two. I have my daughter Paida and my bonus daughter Eve. I'm an auntie to many, a mentor to many more, and um, sister to some. <laughs> awesome. So tell us about your experience in politics and what do people misunderstand the most about it? Okay, so my experience to politics is um, I'm not a politician, but being a relative of a politician, you become part of the system. That's the thing that people should understand. It's a system. And it's a system in place that protects itself. And so you become part of machinery, kind of, you know, and you have a role to play. And I think a lot of times people have the naivety that they're going to get into politics and they're going to change the world and change everything. And it doesn't happen like that because, mm. like I said, there is a system in place. So, um, and, and in a way, your life stops being yours. Mm. You know, I noticed that with my parents. My parents then belonged to the nation. So when they died, you know, when it was the funerals, etc., it was the feeling of um, they were ours too. And you just wanted to mourn in peace. But once you become part of this, it's, it's, it's like your life isn't yours anymore. Yeah. Um, I brought my daughter here to South Africa. I raise, I've ra been raising her here for most of her school life. She's about to make matric n next year. So she's, you know, she was quite young when we left Malawi, you know, about mm -hmm. seven. So when we go home and people want to hug her and tell her they miss her grandma or grandfather it's overwhelming for her when we walk in places and everybody stares and recognizes it's overwhelming for her she's used mm. to just being a teenager going to Santon mall to watch movies and you mm. know whatever so when we go in that situation it's hard for her so i often have to remind her that the life we live you know to have grace because the life we live comes from you know what her grandparents did from that legacy and that for some people the closest they will get to the person they admire is you mm -hmm. so you have to give them the grace to give them the time because she'll be like who are you hugging i don't know who they are <laughs> but that's what they wanted you know for yeah. the day and that's and I've, I've come to realize that but like i said it's it you're part of a system so when when i arrived in malawi I always joke and say I was the Fergie of the family because I made all the mistakes, you know, because I arrived from the U.S. and I was like, let's go. What does this mean? And I came in and I said, yeah, so I'm going to get my own flat and, you know, I'm going to get a job and I'm just going to live my life and I'll come visit you guys when I need to. And the head of security was like, no. And I was like, you can't tell me no, you're not my father, you know, and he was like, no, you have to be here where you're safe because it becomes a security risk for your parents if you're out traipsing about, you know, and so, it, yeah, you, you start to realize you are part of a system. Everything you do affects that system, you know, how you eat, how you act, who your friends are, who whatever. People are always watching and they're judging everything about you based on how human or, or you know arrogant or humble you are mm -hmm. you know and so I think that a lot of times people see the glamour the parties the the rallies the whatever which are fun but the day-to-day -day, we were just a family you know mm -hmm. we were just a family my father would wear his holy sweater 
and my mother would fuss at him that I told you to throw that sweater away and he'd be like, I'm a grown man. Sounds like my ass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm a grown man. You can't tell me what to do. I'm the commander in chief of the army. She's like, you're not the commander in chief of me. <coughs> and you know, it, they would fuss at each other. They were hilarious. They were yeah. a funny little old couple following each other around. Um, and so we, we were just a family that got put into this position, mm. but people don't realize you're actually human. You, you stop you stop being a person mm -hmm. and you just become an image, kind of. Sure. That's a tough part. Yeah. 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 Do you guys have any comments you wanna, in, in terms of what she just spoke about? Um, I just wanna say, cheers to your father. Also, <laughs> also my holy journey. Your whole, yeah. I, I like them. You I, like I, them, I, I, yeah. I, I had a lot, and then because of my pastor, I had to throw. You had to and, throw. And my grand, I had to throw yeah. some of. Yeah. my holy clothes some of yeah. your holy clothes and Kiss. just and just be holy and just yeah. be holy yeah without <laughs> the holy clothes i don't think your grand would be too happy to see you with those holy no she wouldn't Jesus, yeah. <laughs> yeah um so you, you spoke quite a bit about um beyond the veil of being of politics and then family life and then how you yeah. guys were actually pretty normal yeah so i was actually i'm actually quite fascinated with like looking at headlines for example and just for example um the, the controversy that happened with uh, with alcohol the, yes the, that obviously you were falsely accused of yes um dua martika extorts the weakness of men just for example yes now we know obviously that's been false but yeah. my my question is what was your personal experience seeing that on headlines yeah then interacting with family members who saw that yeah and then also your enemies oh wow yeah that's a really good one so that one actually we have to take it to court because the the company refuses to retract it so a couple of people who did then write the story from that story then i've i've contacted them and they have you know made a correction but unfortunately with the newspaper in question here in south africa they and i have no idea what their um their reasoning was for putting me as part of that but i was not i mean everybody who's involved is now persona non grata i would not be in south africa you know if it had happened so when i saw that i felt sick to my stomach because we have been there have been many things we were accused of we were accused of siphoning out 30 million dollars which to this day interpol has said didn't happen but people believe these stories and i'm like do you know how much 30 million is like this it leaves a paper trail and even if we did cash do you know how many cars would have there's a border somewhere at the border there's a manifest this somebody has to tell you how it happened because you don't put 30 million dollars in the back of somebody's car you know but all when all of those things happen I was really down and I remember praying and just being like, Lord, when will this end? My parents have passed on. We are still going through this thing where for political reasons, people want to bring our name down. I'm tired, you know, so I was really angry. I was really down. I felt bad. Um, the call, phone call started, like a, a lot of my relatives were like, no, not Dua. They're like, do you know Dua? You know what I mean? Like if she has over a glass of wine, she's fast asleep. Mm -hmm. So do you know alcohol, Dua? You know, and like they were like, nah, you know. But um, a lot of people vouched for me immediately and they were like, no. Also, she's a front door person. You know, she doesn't do that type of thing. And so that was good was to, to hear that a lot of people were on my side, but then a lot of people 
obviously they're like ah you know them they're drunkards because you know because that was something that was said during the time my father was alive as well so you know for some of the enemies they were happy and i heard there were people who were saying like oh lad let's go and wait at the airport to see when she gets deported and i was like sorry for you you know my god told me long ago don't do that because you know i heard about the rumors of what people were doing I would see people with new cars and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm going to stick with my Ford Cougar because I know where this is, the money is for this is coming from. So two weeks before that story broke, I heard from someone that it's about to go down and they're going to, like many embassies are going to be affected. And I remember saying to my colleagues, it's about to go down and everybody went quiet. And I said, okay, I'm in the clear. I've said my piece. We'll leave it be, you know? So it was, it was really, it was a lot of turmoil. And I still want to clear my name for that. Um, and, and, you know, in the past when things have happened, people say, oh, ignore them. You know, that's just the way things go. But um, in politics and stuff. But for me, my reputation is very important. So I, I, I can't leave that be, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, just... Uh um, a question. So that doesn't sound too dissimilar to the um, whole Pala Pala mm-hmm. incident with President Soramaposa. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> having experienced what you've experienced and then looking at uh, what they said about the president, because we've mm-hmm. questioned that whole thing. Yeah. Due to the fact that the Namibian government spoke in the press about it in 2020 mm-hmm. and no one took any notice. Mm. And then all of a sudden, when was it last year? The whole thing blew up and now the president must resign and you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh you know we had questions like well is it illegal to have cash in your house mm, you know mm. since when is it illegal to keep cash in your house you know yeah, many yeah. people used to keep cash under the mattress yeah but now the president does it no he's broken all the rules he yeah. must say where it came from and since when yeah you know that that's that's our questions about about those things so yeah just was interested in your take you know having been behind a story like that yeah you know so many, if I, if I sit and think of even my father, him having cash in the house, you know, obviously not to those levels, but yeah, because sometimes you'd be like, go buy this for your auntie and take it to the village, you know what I mean? That type of thing. So I don't know, and, I, and I, I, I've never heard why he had the cash in the house. Um, I think for some people, the issue is that when you come into presidency, you're supposed to, in the beginning, you declare your net worth. And then you're supposed to be declaring where you're getting your income from. So the question is, where was the income from? But I think as long as there's, you know, there's a way to say this is where the income's from, whether it's in the bank or it's in his house, I don't see the difference. Um, Like I said, the only question I would think is maybe people are saying, where's this money from? Maybe, maybe the insinuation is that it's a bribe or, you know, that type of thing. Um, but otherwise having, we all have money in the house sometimes. I mean, we, I, I try not to living in Johannesburg, you know, but, you know, I think in Malawi, you know, in Malawi, we did so much in cash and you'd have, you know, with the kwacha and the rate, you'd have stacks of money to do something like, you know, I'm buying piece of land. It's either that or writing a check, you know? So if you're in a cash-based society, it kind of makes sense. But I think it's—I think for him, what happened is it's the—it's the amount that raised alarms, and the questioning of where's from is what I can assume from what I'm thinking of, yeah. you know, what we had, what I've seen. 
yeah. Yeah. So for just from your perspective, they, would there be a chance, mm-hmm. seeing as, as what's happened with you and your family, mm-hmm. that he's innocent in terms of that? It's possible. It really is possible. Like I said, um, I would, I'd, I'd really want to hear more. And he's been kind of, you know, quiet about it. I'd want to hear more, like, how did this come to be? You know what I mean? But it's quite possible that there's nothing nefarious happening. I mean, he is a, a very wealthy individual in his own right. So it's quite possible that there's, you know, there, there wasn't um, anything besides the fact that he just had cash and maybe he was moving it from one place to the other. Who knows? Somebody bought something in cash. I don't know. But it's completely possible um, and plausible. Yeah. Mm. So we would like you to share your thoughts on the 2024 elections here in South Africa. And mm. what do you think the main issues will be coming up to the elections? Just your opinion. Yeah. Just my yes, opinion. Yes. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I would say, um, so for the 2024, it's going to be hot, hey? Mm. Um, <laughs> it's, it's already heating up right now. Mm. Um, I don't think it's going to be business as usual. Um, I think one of the things that some of the smaller, um, some of the smaller, what do I want to say, political parties are doing right is they're getting into the grassroots. They're mm. going out into the people and talking to them about the things that they need. Um, one of the things for the bigger parties, whether it's NC or DA, that I think may be a problem point is they have a disaffected Gen Z. They're mm. dealing, they, they're not speaking to that generation. And you, you know, you just go on TikTok and you see somebody saying something and they're like, um, the kids saying, well, my parents voted for ANC, but I'm not going to. So that means then, you know, or my parents, you know, were part of DA, but I'm not going to be. So then where are they going? Mm. And they are a large majority of the new voters, there's a, a whole new generation that are going to be voting. If if politicians are not speaking to their needs, if they are not speaking to their concerns, mm-hmm. if they're not speaking their language, you know what I mean? You're done, you know, mm-hmm. because I, I, that's where I think the problem is, is that some of these political parties did the... They've been here for a long while and they did the freedom thing well and they've, you know, they've... They've built themselves in a certain generation, but they've missed an opportunity mm. with the younger generation. So I'll be curious in the months to come to see if some of these stalwart parties start to address their younger possible constituents. I'll be, that that would be where I say would be a huge missed opportunity. Yeah. 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 yeah I would say that any party that's really looking at speaking to younger people at the moment is the EFF. Yeah. Julius yeah. Malema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gets that. He gets their vibe. Mm. He gets what they're on. He gets the, the. I mean, if you look at that iconic picture of him on that lift thing with the, I mean, that was, that was just like everybody went crazy for that picture. And that speaks to that generation. It's like, wow, you know, whereas um, I think the younger generation, they understand about the struggles that happened. They get it, but it's not their struggle. So now my struggle is I'm unemployed or I don't have access to to um, tuition or, you know, what are my opportunities going to be? It's a very different generation. So I hope they don't miss that opportunity. Yeah. 
Oh no, I was gonna say that probably that that's why that's why Julius Malema is um, making such big waves. Yes, because that most of the um, younger people are actually listening to him and his party. Um, I think Rosie will be not the youngest, but he's like third, the third youngest in the party. Yeah, and Rosie's like he's um, he was a spokesperson. I forgot what what, what position he holds in the EFF now. Mm-hmm. And then you have younger people in the EFF that are in position. Then the ANC suffers because they just have the old people in there, and it's only them. Like even now, um, the deputy, what's his name again? Um, the guy was on the news. No, the ANC. The ANC deputy on the news with the security guys who beat up the other guys. Mm. Uh, okay, yes. Yes. So, Paul, is it Paul, Paul Yes, he's, 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 he's the youngest, but he's like 40-something, if I'm mm. not mistaken. But mm. that's not young for me. Yeah, for true. me, 40 is not. He's like, no, he's not there. You're young. a grown adult. But you see, <laughs> that's, that's the problem with the ANC. And then, obviously, the DA has that stigma of it being white only yeah and yeah, obviously the, the in, in south africa that's yeah. a problem for, for yeah. me the white is not the biggest problem with the da mm. yeah yeah with the, for whatever the, the nc yeah, does bad yeah. the da would do even worse and that's and, then, and then obviously now now they they we, we're seeing them having meetings coming together um i don't know have you have you seen that and what do you think about that? Pact. yeah the nc and the da planning oh, to yeah. come no, no, together there's a new meeting today Oh, oh they're having a one today. Yeah, so they're okay. calling it a convention. The convention of okay. seven parties. The so with the one that they had before, mm-hmm. what, what what do you think? Because it's like they came into a, a an agreement of okay. going on on going um um nationally as as coalition nationally. As a coalition. Yeah, what do you think? I think coalitions are tricky, and I'll tell you why. Somebody has to get the bigger piece of the pie, and it gets so in campaigning. Coalitions work great because you're like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Now comes the time for you to put in the ministers, put the people in the embassies, whatever political, um, you know, candidature or political, um, what do I want to say, position that's that's coming up. Who gets what? Who gets what? So depending on how much you put towards the, to- the coalition is how much you're going to get back. So if your party was only 10%, you're getting 10% and you are not happy because you're like, you're sitting here and you're saying, oh, we are not, we are not eating as much as the other ones are eating. Look at the so-and-so party. They're eating the most of it. Mm-hmm. Coalitions are hard. And by nature, political parties are opponents. Okay? So they all have their different agendas. How do you merge that agenda? So, so for, for, for what I would say is when you're campaigning, you have one agenda, and that's to stop the other guy. You've all come together to stop the <clears> other guy. <throat> now, how do you break down all your individual very opposing agendas to run a government? Mm. So what happens if you have one person going left, one person going right? I mean, politics is hard enough as it is. Then you have um, so many different parties. Like I said, it will work for campaigning. I have yet to see a coalition government working for, you know, actual running of day-to-day of the, of the leg- and doing legislation and that type of stuff. It gets really tough. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But who knows? We can, we can, we, we can have hope, <laughs> you know, but yeah, it's tough. Give your thoughts on yeah. that. I just wanted to ask you, obviously, um, you know, with your father and your uncle, mm-hmm. you know, um, being such prominent figures in Malawian politics. Um, and obviously there's a history 
in terms of Malawi, mm-hmm. Ethiopia, where you said you were born, you include places like Tanzania and even here in South Africa mm-hmm. with the whole Pan-African idea. So what are your thoughts around around Pan-Africanism? Um, born and bred, hey? Uh, without realizing it, I believe in my continent. I really do. And I believe if we can unite, so many amazing things can happen. Um, you know, I think I'm a little bit frustrated with some of the, the diplomatic organizations because I think they've had lost opportunities. They spend a lot of times in administrative type of things and bureaucracy rather than dealing with, you know, the actual things on the ground to create unity. And so what has ended up from that is you have SADAC, you have ECOWAS, you know, you have little pockets where people are united, but we really need to unite as a continent. And I think it's really important. And yeah, that is something that I've heard from birth, you know, with my father being a, being very much of a Pan-Africanist and um, being raised in Ethiopia during the time when um, what is now the African Union was OAU. And my father worked for ECA, the Economic Commission for Africa, a branch of the UN in, um, in Addis Ababa. And I mean, it was a melting pot of Africans. I, we had friends from all over the world. And what was really fascinating about growing up in that time is watching the embassies come up you know, it would be like, I remember it, I think it was, um, it was 1980. And then all of a sudden there was a new Zimbabwean embassy and, you know, and they brought these people, they'd been freedom fighters and he was now the ambassadors. I'm still friends with them for life, the Mahakas and, um, wonderful family. And yeah. And so seeing people, um, you know, the new embassy being set up and they're having their presence and then the new community, it was just, it was such a time of community. You know what I mean? Like we were all together in this Africa for all, you know, type of thing. And I think I look back at it now and I'm like, what a charmed life, you know, what a charmed childhood. Um, At the time, it was like, this is normal to have friends from 99 countries. You know what I mean? Uh, You know, but I look back now and I'm like, wow, that was really, it was such a charmed time to be alive and to hear you know, Zimbabwe got independence, you know, so-and-so broke away. And, you know, it was, you know, it was, it was really, it was a, it was a good time. And, and, um, and we got exposure to a lot of different people because in that time in Ethiopia, um, South African paramilitaries, anywhere that people were, were, were fighting for liberation, they would be trained in Ethiopia. So we, we managed to meet all sorts of people and, um, yeah, it was. It's just amazing to have been part of that time. Yeah. Yeah. So just an, just a final question for myself. Um, obviously, looking at the whole Pan African idea, mm-hmm. um, you've got that, but you've also got the aspect of Islamization. Mm-hmm. So like Boko Haram and you know the people like that in Nigeria, mm-hmm. and now also Al Shabaab, you know, sort of mm-hmm. in East Africa, which is now causing serious problems in the north of Mozambique. Mm-hmm. So that's not getting much coverage. You know, there's these big problems even now up mm. there. Um, so, how would how would Pan Africanism um, work? You know, with 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 those guys who obviously wanting more of an Arabian type solution for Africa. Yeah, you know, I think that's really it's it's a tough one, and it comes down to us. 
I think all of us need to we need to get on the kind of the same page is in that what we're trying to do is have is we may have the physical liberation of Africa, but we need the economic liberation of Africa. So I don't necessarily feel that if if you're saying they want a more Arabic type, are they saying in culture or are they saying more in connections to, you know, the Arab world, etc. But for me, it, it comes down to us in our continent. We need to have that economic freedom. We need to be economically empowered. We need to understand why we need to value add here rather than sending out raw materials. We need to understand why we need to deal with our own politics and we need solutions based. My thing that I would say is we need solutions for Africa based on Africa. You know, it makes absolutely no sense to bring this, and, and this is what's been the problem. We're, we're told to manufacture this way because we want to be part of AGOA. We're told to, you know, this is how you have to export your stuff because we want to sell it to the EU. Well, what do we need here? What are the solutions for us here? That's what's important. So while I understand that because of their, their religious beliefs, there is a leaning toward the Arabic world, I would ask, is it, is it fit for use for us here in Africa? We need more solutions that come from us organically. Yeah, I just what I find fascinating is if you listen to a lot of white people today, mm -hmm. um, they're becoming more Pan-African, the way you've described it. <laughs> Because um, there's a lot of discussion even amongst white people now mm -hmm. about the whole thing with the minerals being, yeah. being raped out of the continent. Yeah. So, um, you know, I even heard a podcast recently where two white guys were interviewing one of the guys, um, I think it's from the Buffer King, mm. one of those, uh, the Rustenburg way, and uh, they were agreeing with him. He was talking about expropriation, yeah. and he was saying their aim for expropriation is the mining rights. Yeah. It's not the guy's farm or this guy's house, yeah. it's the mining rights. Yeah. And most white people now are going to agree with it, yeah. Yeah. because, you know, we all feel we're being ripped off. Because we've still got huge gold deposits here. Yeah. You know, and um, we've been raped. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. It's, you know, one of the things we've got to realize is we've got to create systems that are for the future. Yeah. So it can't be about immediate instant gratification. You know, if you sit and think of what happened when they found the diamonds in Zimbabwe, yeah. you, you'd find this huge rock. You get $100,000 from it. You're thinking you've hit the jackpot. They're making a million bucks off of it. Yeah. And most of diamonds is not for jewelry. It's for manufacturing. Yeah. So not understanding that and understanding the value chain, the supply chain, means you're going to get ripped off. We've really got to get educated on, you know, th this is why you have Holland, which is a diamond producer. They don't have yeah. any diamonds. They, no. have, they come from Africa. Yeah. But it's, it's about what the law says, where it's last processed is where it's from. You know, these, so we, we need to start really understanding the, the economics of things and empowering ourselves. Yeah. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 to 13, it says, If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Amen. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Amen. Yes, and I think obviously, just leading on there from that last point there, um, Africans are being ripped off because we don't think mm -hmm. and we're, divide, we're divided. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I think there's quite a big, um, you know, uh, what do you call it, like propaganda machine that comes along that actually puts that division in place. Yeah. Because then people don't realize they're being ripped off. Mm. And so I just want to say, you know, just, uh, you know, bringing the word into this, um, we get fooled when we're falling for the temptations that come because we're not trusting the Lord. Amen. And God's not going to give us anything beyond that which we can cope with. Yeah. And so I just want to encourage people, you know, turn to the Lord, get to church, make sure you're being discipled in church. Amen. Because um, that's the only solution I see to all the challenges, you know, that have been going on. Yeah. We've actually been involved in a prayer and fasting week, mm-hmm. um, you know, with our pastor, Pastor Bert Pretorius, and a whole lot of other pastors. You know, it's been live on the Trinity Broadcasting Network here across DSTV. And um, I just want to encourage all Christians, you know, we need to be praying together, we need to start working together, and we need to start bringing about that real liberation that people need. But I, I believe it's only going to happen with the Lord. Yeah. And uh, other, other than that, people are going to be deceived. Yeah, amen. Yeah. This has been an amazing show. Thank you so much, Ms. Dua, for being part of the show. It's been very insightful. I was like, let's carry on. I've got so many more questions. <laughs> but it's really been amazing. Let us know your thoughts on our social media platforms. I'm your girl, Cynthia, but you know you can call me Gix. And with me in studio, we've had... Gavin Enslin. Pastor Gavin Enslin and... John Shamshum. John Shamshum, the Israeli and... The Black Knight. The Black Knight and our amazing guest speaker... Miss Dua, thank you thank so you. much. Yeah, thank right you. you. Right here on the political show where Christ politics is. Hot politics. Hot politics. Active FM is everywhere. Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and so much more. See all the fun posts. Get involved in interesting discussions. Voice your opinions and get updates by following us on social media. Active FM. Radio has never been better.